Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we're going to replay an episode from about three years ago at this time of year. It was recorded with Chris Caldwell of Captain Chris Yacht Services, and the topic is preparing your boat for a storm. So we thought this was a good topic for today, especially given that Hurricane Dorian is approaching Florida. First, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And now, here is a previously recorded episode of Great Loop Radio featuring Captain Chris Caldwell telling us how to prepare our boats for a storm. Hi. Okay, hello. We're in uh, still in sunny Florida. We have not felt the wind or the rain impacts of Hurricane Matthew yet. Although we've been preparing, in fact, yesterday I had to prepare a glooper's boat. Um, he just bought the boat Monday, and I had to move it yesterday on Tuesday to put it in a better location for the incoming storm. Some other things to think about yesterday, 48 hours before expected landfall, we noticed that the high tide in Fort Pierce, Florida, was already 18 inches above normal high tide. So when people talk about storm surge, it's not necessarily a tidal wave. It's the storm is pushing the water inland, and it's backing up and building up. So we're already 18 inches above normal high tide yesterday. I don't know how high it will be today. Right. Uh, and we should also, we should probably, before you go on, Chris, let me just mention um, for those listening, um, we usually release these new episodes on Fridays. We are pre-recording this on Wednesday. So today is um, October 5th, um, and we are pre-recording it to make sure we can get the episode in before the storm in case we are evacuated or have no power. But I also do plan to release this one earlier. Um, so as soon as we're finished, I will go ahead and make this available so people can use the information to get their boats ready. So. Let's start kind of um, at the beginning, I guess, if we can. So if you have a boat and pulling it out of the water is not an option if it's too big, um, what should you consider next? Do you want to leave it tied up in a marina? Do you want to look for a hurricane hole in Anchorage somewhere? What's, what should you do first? Um, well, the question is not what you should do first. The question is what did your insurance company ask you to do in preparation of a storm? Your insurance okay. company would ask you to present a storm plan, and you should comply with the storm plan, or your insurance policy may be null and void. Second thing to think about, if you're going to take your boat to a boat yard for haul out, um, most of the time you should be a member of a hurricane club where you pay a premium up front where they will guarantee to pull you out. Next thing to think about, if you're fortunate enough to have your boat hauled out of the water and put in dry dock, so to speak, understand it takes approximately one hour to pull one boat. So the travel lift has to go to the well, the boat goes in, the travel lift lifts the boat, drives down the park lot, sets it on the ground, the gang puts all the tripods on it, blocks it up, the tri the, um, they drop the straps, the travel lift goes back to the travel lift well, 
an hour later to pick up another boat. So if you do your math, that means they can do eight boats per eight-hour day or 12 boats per 12-hour day. So if you are not in a hurricane club, chances are you're not going to get hauled out. So the next best thing is to figure out how to tie your boat in place to face the storm. And I use the word face the storm. We're here in Vero Beach where we live, or Fort Pierce where I was yesterday. We were able to position the boat to put the bow east so we would be facing the eastern winds and then later on the northern winds. So we put the bumpers and the fenders out to accommodate the northern winds and the bow, the knife part or the narrow part of the bow that knifes through the waves is pointed east. So when any wave action were to come in, it would cut the waves. If the boat was stern to the weather, then you're going to have approximately a 12 or 14 foot flat surface with the waves pounding against the back of the boat, which is uncomfortable to see it and to hear it. But it's also another concern where those waves may push up inside the exhaust pipes on the stern of the boat and push water into the engines on top of the cylinders of the, uh, the engines. So that would cause a catastrophic engine failure. So if you have to be stern to the weather, put some kind of a Nerf ball, or you see these big, weird, pink, red, uh, conical things there uh, uh, for um, salvaging a boat. You can just put those big old orange cones into your exhaust pipes to keep the water from going up. So remember, you may have one exhaust pipe per propulsion engine or maybe even two exhaust pipes per propulsion engine and look to see where your generator exhaust pipe is. Next thing, strip the boat. Anything that will blow off in a 70-knot wind, 75-knot wind, if it blows off, it's gone. You're never going to find it. What's even worse is your insurance premium generally jumps up to a 10% of um, deductible for a named storm. So if you lose $5,000, $10,000 worth of canvas, you may not make your $10,000 deductible or your 10% deductible. So that's just money that you lost. So take the time to strip the boat, take off the canvas, take off the Isinglass windows, take off everything you can that will blow away Remember, these things are windshields when your boat's doing 10 knots or 15 or 18 knots, and then they act like parachutes in 75-knot winds. So you want to get all of that off, and it's better to do it while it's dry instead of waiting too late when it starts to rain. The problem with the rain is all of that clear vinyl eyes and glass windows turn milky when they stay wet in the hot, humid boat for the next week or so. So try to do all that as fast as possible before the rain comes. Next is your dinghy. Everybody's got a dinghy. Every cruiser has a dinghy. What do you do with the dinghy? Remember, your inflatable dinghy only weighs about 125 pounds, and the motor might weigh 100 pounds. So ultimately, your inflatable or your rigid inflatable boat turns into a kite, that thing will just blow away 
or it will rip all of the tie-downs off the fiberglass roof of your boat. So if you can deflate it and put it inside the boat, that's great. If you're not able to deflate it or not able to put it inside the boat, put it on the aft deck. And if you've got the space and if you can handle the additional weight, of course you want to tie it to the handrails. But fill it full of water. Water weighs 8 pounds a gallon, 64 pounds per cubic foot. If you fill that thing full of water, it will be weighed down, and it may not blow away. If you have a kayak, remember you've got a drain in your kayak, so pull the drain out, get the garden hose, and fill that thing full of water. The trick is put it where you want it before you fill it full of water because you can't lift it. If you've got a canoe, do the same thing. Fill it full of water. All of your um, throw rings, type 4 PFDs, life jackets, anything that's outside, barbecue pits, maybe even some big, tall radio antennas, VHF radio antennas. Get all of those down and tape them if you can. And when you're using tape, of course you can use uh, that blue tape that you varnish, but remember that's paper. It won't last through the first 30 minutes. If you use duct tape, too terrific because it leaves a filthy mess. If you end up using duct tape and you have all that glue residue on your boat, do not use acetone to wipe away that glue residue. Try to use denatured alcohol or use Goo Gone. You can buy Goo Gone at Walmart, Kmart, whatever, to get some of that goo off. Another thing to think about is your shore power. Depending upon the marina that you're in, sometimes the marina management is proactive and they turn off all of the electricity in the marina, which is a good thing. But if you've got meat in your refrigerator, it may not be so good. The other thing to think about, people say, well, I have an inverter. The reality of the inverter is if you've got a severe hurricane strike, you might lose electricity for one day or one week. Here in Florida in 2004, we lost electricity 10 days. The point being your inverter and the battery supporting the inverter does not have enough juice literally enough juice or electricity to power your refrigerator for more than maybe, uh, it depends on a lot of factors, but 24 hours. So take all of the perishables out of your refrigerator, turn off your refrigerator, turn off your inverter. There's no need to flatten your batteries by wasting inverter energy just to keep your refrigerator going because your batteries might be dependent upon to operate a bilge pump. So if you lose the electricity in the marina, your battery charger won't work, but your inverter may work. Your inverter may drain the batteries to where the bilge pump will not have enough 12 volts or 24 volts to pump out the boat. So those are a lot of things to think about. And now let's talk about spider webs. How do you tie your boat up? I'll let Elise talk about spider webs. Well, he's really talking about lines, not spiders, which I can't stand. <laughs> but 
if you have long, long lines, you want to have lines that are at least as long as your boat is because you want to make a lot of spring lines. And you want to, if you can, if you're on a, a T-head or at the end of a dock, then you want to be able to pull yourself away from the dock and so that your swim platform doesn't get caught underneath in case the wind is pushing you back towards the dock. And one of the ways besides springing yourself in, in a, um, a bigger slip maybe or springing yourself across the canal, um, you can also put anchors out on your bow and your stern to keep you off of the dock. So the more lines you put out, it starts looking like you're, you're, you're the spider sitting in the middle of a spider web. Uh, when we were in the Keys for many years, uh, we, we ended up being there through the Greek alphabet. It was crazy how, much, how many storms we encountered. And we kept having to do that, bringing our boat into one of the canals, tying up to one side of it, bringing our lines over to the other side of the canal and tying up over there. And we buried a couple of anchors so deep, they really did their job. But when, when it was time to, the, the storm was over with, Chris actually had to go dive on the anchors to get them back up. They were so, yeah, with a, with a scuba tank on in order to get them up out of the mud. They had really done their job. Which brings me to um, don't stay on your boat. Just absolutely do not stay on your boat no matter what. Your, your boat is insured and your boat can be replaced and your stuff can be replaced. But um, it's kind of hard when you're going through something like that. We've been through some storms that were short, maybe an hour, maybe two hours. But this particular storm, Matthew, they're talking about very slow moving, which means it could be hours and hours and hours that we're getting hit with even tropical storm winds, you know, 70, 70 mile an hour winds. But it's looking more like we might get over 100. So that's definitely something you don't want to stay on your boat for no matter how well you have it tied up. Um, what else we got on our list? We Oh, this is really important. If you're in a marina, you're, you, you've all seen marinas where there's lots of boats that um, haven't been loved. <laughs> they haven't been used for a long time. So you want to look around at your neighbors and see, do they have things that are going to be missiles and projectiles? And will their boat maybe float? Uh, break away and, and cause damage to all the other boats. So um, even though, yes, yours is, your boat is the primary thing you want to tie up, you want to look around and see, is there anything you can do to keep uh, almost a derelict boat from, from getting away from, from its mooring and, and coming up onto you when, when the storm hits really hard? A little bit more on the spider web. So we talked about tying your boat, springing your boat, extra lines, secondary lines, and uh, a third line. Where are you tying the boat? Are you tying it onto a loose cleat on the dock? If that cleat is loose, it's no good. So make sure that if you're tying your boat to a cleat that it's firmly attached to the dock and make sure it is through bolted and back-plated into a beam holding up the finger pier or the main dock. Uh, Through-bolted means the boat goes all the way through the beam. Back-plated means there's a big plate or a giant fender washer, so that way the nut doesn't wear through the softer wooden beam. 
Another thing, if you are available to have uh, lines tied on the top of pilings, like your bow piling, midship piling, stern piling, traditionally in fixed docks instead of floating docks, shimmy up to the top of the piling, tie a clove hitch up there real snug so it will not slip down, and finish your clove hitch with two half hitches so that way that the clove hitch will not get wet and untie or loosen, and use that for your hard points. If you've got bad cleats on your docks, remember those pilings go all the way down into the seafloor, so that's your strongest contact with the seafloor. Another thing to think about are fenders or bumpers. How do you effectively fender your boat from the dock or protect your boat from the dock? If you've got a fixed dock, meaning the dock stays at the same level as the tide rises and falls, or as the waves rise and fall, you may want to use what's called a fender board. You cannot buy fender boards at the boat store. You have to make them. So depending upon the size of your boat, generally I would look for a 2x6 or 2x8 in the neighborhood of 8 feet long and drill some holes in each end so you can tie a lanyard to them and tie the fender board onto your deck or your handrail stanchions, not onto the horizontal handrail, it might rip it off. Tie it onto the vertical stanchions for the vertical stanchion is screwed into the tow rail at the deck level. And then you would push that fender board out using two barrel fenders, ordinary barrel fenders or bumpers that you use in the marina so two barrel fenders act as the cushion to push the board away from your boat. And here's the magic. As your boat goes forward and back and forward and back with wave action or wind gusts, then that board will rub back and forth, rub back and forth against the piling, protecting your boat. So fender boards are really fantastic but you have to make them. So you need a skill saw and a drill with a three-quarter inch or a one-inch bit to make a hole big enough so that you can secure that board up to the boat. If okay. your boat's on... Chris, I'm yeah. sorry, I was just going to take a quick break to play a message from one of our sponsors, um, but I want to do it at a, a reasonable spot. So I'm not sure if you were in the middle of the thought on the fender boards, if you want to finish that up, and then we'll take a break. Uh, when you come back, we'll talk about floating docks. Okay, sounds perfect. We'll be back in a moment. Did you know that every mile of the Great Loop is covered by Skipper Bob Guides? Its mile-by-mile -mile format is a great planning tool and essential at the helm. On the most popular routes and side trips, yeah. Skipper Bob covers preparation, navigation, bridges and locks, and the best places to visit. Skipper Bob guides are updated each year, and its website keeps you current with navigation alerts and cruising news. To check it out, go to skipperbob.net. Skipper Bob is a proud Admiral Sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Our guests today are Captains Chris and Elise Caldwell with Captain Chris Yacht Services. And they are telling us how to uh, do as best we can to protect our boats 
in um, a serious storm like the one that's approaching the southeast right now. Um, so, Chris, you were sharing some information on how to make a fender board, which is important. Um, so let's kind of move on to the next topic. Um, you, the fender boards were mostly for fixed docks. So what if we're at a floating dock? Okay. Uh, before we move on to floating docks, I'd like to offer that we do have YouTube videos showing fender boards. So if people can't grasp a mental picture of a fender board, we have a video picture so you can look at it. I'm going to put it all Perfect. together under one topic called hurricane preparation. So you'll be able to see a lot of different videos like that on our YouTube. So now so let's that, talk about you, Well, let me, let me make sure everybody can find your YouTube videos. Um, do you have a, a specific channel on YouTube that they should go to, or do they link through from your website? They can link there from our website very easily. They can go to uh, CaptainChrisYachtServices.com, and on the top banner on the right end, it just will link you immediately to our YouTube channel. It says YouTube. But we also have Facebook videos, too, where we've gotten a lot of that. But I'm going to try to group them all together um, before you, you actually um, air this. And so when, when everybody hears this, they'll be able to go and, and see uh, a lot of hurricane-related videos all together. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay, continuing on then. Okay, floating docks. Let me start mm -hmm. with what's usual, and then we'll talk about hurricanes. Traditionally, when you approach a floating dock and you're cruising, the dock master says, drop your fender to touch the water and bring it up an inch. That's traditional. When you are involved in a hurricane, if you've got a lot of wind and wave action where those floating docks are located, your fenders may pull up above the floating dock and land on the floating dock. Now you no longer have protection between your boat and the dock itself. So we recommend that you have your fenders laid over at about a 45-degree angle. There's a chance that it will not be jerked up on top of the floating dock. And there's more surface area between your boat, the fender, and the floating dock. And the only problem with that, which is a small problem, is if you don't get back to your boat for a week or a month, you'll have all kinds of sea growth on the fender. Small price to pay. So mm -hmm. lay your fenders over about a 45-degree angle. And again, as earlier I said, do not tie them to your handrail. Tie them to the vertical stanchions down at the tow rail at the deck level because we don't want all of that action and jerking to torque your handrails and make them uh, pull out of the deck or make them cause a water leak where those screws go in through the deck. So those are other thoughts. And then we're talking about fuel and water. If you've got fuel in your boat, great. Now, we're originally from New Orleans. Everybody's heard about Katrina. So a lot of our friends in New Orleans had to live on their boats for months after the storm because their houses were flooded. So fortunately, they had enough diesel fuel to run the generators and the boats. That's another thought to consider. Drinking water. Remember, the marinas turn off the electricity proactively before the storm. They may also turn off the water. Because with these storms, they don't want the water pipes breaking on the docks and then charging a huge water bill just to pour city water into the ocean. So fill your boat full of water. Even if you're not going to stay aboard, and we suggest you do not stay aboard, 
But if you have to leave your house and go live on the boat for the next week or the next month, you'll have fuel and you'll have water on board the boat. A lot of people talk about bilge pumps. What do you do about the batteries? Some people say turn the batteries off. That's a thought, but you need to discover how your bilge pumps are wired up in your boat. Traditionally, the bilge pumps should be wired direct to the batteries, bypassing the battery switch, meaning if the battery switch is turned off, the bilge pumps will still work automatically. That's the desired wiring method, but it's not always that case. So you want to make sure that your batteries are fully charged. You want to make sure that your bilge pumps will work in the automatic feature, and if you're unsure if that will happen, turn off your battery switches and then go down to your float switch and move it with the finger and see if it will work. If the float switch works, then you're okay. If it doesn't work, then you know that you need to leave the battery on. Um, we're, we're doing some hurricane preparation here, and we've got some smoke over in the, in the forest on the other side, so... You want to walk out and see where that's coming from, and I'll keep on talking while we do that. Okay. Um, other thing to think about is just keep your boat stripped as much as possible so that nothing will blow off. We talked about the cleats. We talked about your dock lines. We talked about that old boat next door. Chris, any thoughts um, if you do plan, if you're not tying up at a marina and you do plan to find a hurricane hole somewhere, any tips on how you select the best spot possible? Yes, look for a man-made lagoon so no waves can go into the lagoon because wind and waves are your two enemies. You'll always have wind, but if you can position your boat in a lagoon that does not have waves, that will be fantastic. Uh, some okay. marinas are open to the weather, which are great to have visitors and nice breezes and wonderful sunsets, but they're not good places for hurricanes. Right. We are almost out of time. Um, Chris, any final pieces of advice for us? Pictures, pictures, pictures. Take pictures of your boat before the storm with all of your storm preparation. If there has to be an insurance claim after the storm, you've got all of the pictures showing your due diligence that you did the best that you could with the situation that you had to prepare your boat for the storm. Pictures are important. Perfect. That's great advice. And I do um, very much want to thank Captains Chris and Elise Caldwell for joining me today. Um, they are kind of in the in the fire zone there for Hurricane Matthew coming towards them. So they're making their own preparations, shuttering their, their dirt house, um, which I know is taking them hours. So I really appreciate them taking the time out today to share all of this information with everyone else. Um, Chris, is there a way that people can reach you um, before or after the storm if they have any questions about your services? Sure. They can call me at my telephone number or email me. It's services.com, or we have a new uh, webpage called Ask Captain Chris. That's easy. Ask Captain Chris, and you can telephone me because for the next three days, we'll be sitting inside of our house watching TV. Can't do anything else. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully you'll have electric so you can be watching TV. <laughs> 
True, true. And if the phone doesn't go through for whatever reason, just leave a message and I'll be able to get back to you. Okay. And can you share that number with us, Chris? 772-205-1859. All right. Perfect. Uh, Chris and Elise, again, thank you for our listeners. We thank you for listening. Um, We hope everyone on the, the southeast coast and wherever the storm heads next remains safe. Um, and safe cruising to those loopers that are away from the storm and continuing on their journey. Until next week, safe cruising. 